It's about the tools we use. It's about the stories we tell. It's about how we change. It's evolution, baby. Welcome back to Do the Evolution. I'm your host, Jason Lang, and this is my podcast about all things filmmaking, technology, and transformation. This week, wanted to uh, talk about two things. First off, just another movie review, kind of jumping on the back of my Oscars episode last week. And uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about Logan and what I liked about it. And then I'm going to talk about um, this experience I had this week and this idea that just quite simply, some things are meant to not be felt alone. First up, however, Logan. Um, wow, James Mangold. Coming out with a uh, March surprise. That was quite delightful. I uh, have loved Hugh Jackman ever since I first saw him as Wolverine in X-Men back in, I think, 2000, which, man, what a lifetime ago, what an eternity ago to see uh, that he's been playing that character on screen. It's really quite amazing. And he's played him multiple times through the different X-Men movies and the different Wolverine movies of which the first one, X-Men Origins, um, the Wolverine, I think it was called, was just atrocious, kind of everything wrong with big budget summer filmmaking, terrible effects, just utterly garbage story. Uh, Not a good movie. Not a good movie. Almost the end of that franchise in a lot of ways. Um, And then... He came back and was somewhat resurrected in uh, the following X-Men, particularly Days of Future Past. Kind of struck some new blood into that franchise, particularly with those characters. And then we had, uh, or actually just before that, was The Wolverine, which came out, I think, in 2013. Which was a really, um, I really loved The Wolverine. I've never seen the R-rated cut I really want to, the director's cut, because I think it's probably much closer to James Mangold's original vision, and that character is meant for violence. Um, He's just kind of a stupid character to squeeze into PG or PG-13. I mean, he has claws, and he kills people. That's kind of the name of the game. And particularly in Logan, we get to see that, of how vicious and brutal a destructor a creature like that could be. Anyway... 2013's The Wolverine was great, a kind of samurai story updated for the modern age. Um, Only thing that really stopped it from being amazing was the third act, in which we got the typical kind of Hollywood comic book third act thing, in which a beast or CG creature or something kind of takes all the narrative wind out of all the interesting character stuff they were doing, and... This is something uh, I talked about in one of my first blog posts, I think. Um, I think it was superhero interiors versus exteriors and why the Hulk now rocks. And uh, this is a problem most superhero movies have 
in which oftentimes, right, our hero is a superhero, meaning they have super abilities. They can do something quite amazing and extraordinary. And so the problem comes with conflict is, okay, what can they fight? Where can there be action if they're so superpowered? Um, so oftentimes the cheap generic thing is we get hordes and hordes of enemies. Um, and we've seen that in countless superhero movie third acts in which there's this mass of invaders and our superhero or heroes gets to cut through them like butter. And it's somewhat interesting, but it gets pretty old. And then past that, we have kind of the big bad guy, the big boss battle. And this is kind of more video game style. Uh, and this is what the Wolverine in 2013 had, uh, where we kind of had this CG creature boss thing, which the Wolverine has to fight. And really kind of just takes what is a very interesting movie and makes it far less interesting in that case. And Logan um, is an interesting hybrid of all that and actually somewhat approximates more what I wrote about my blog post, which I'll link to in the show notes about what I think is the only interesting move you can take with superheroes in particular and with third acts and with who they're battling and that is basically you need to neutralize their powers. So um, oftentimes this will, a lot of movies will often see the bad guy, particularly in the origin story, is some kind of spinoff of the main character, meaning their powers are very similar. They're just like a dark version of it. Or they're from the same species or race or just equally super powered, but in a slightly different way. Um, and in this case, spoiler warning, which you'll see in the copy, so don't, don't complain if you haven't seen this movie yet. Um, but in this case, we see Wolverine basically has to fight a younger clone of himself. Again, a clone that basically has the same superpowers as him, same adamantium skeleton, the same healing factor, the same rage factor, and... The big point of this is that essentially neutralizes our hero's superpowers or kind of makes them moot. And why I think this is the most interesting narrative strategy is because what makes a hero a hero? It's not the outside characteristics. It's the inside characteristics. So it's their interiors. It's their um, what they stand for, their justice, their rights, their willingness to sacrifice themselves for others. And that comes into play when we have their powers neutralized, meaning if two beings have the exact same powers, what makes one good and what makes one bad? It's not the outside, it's the inside. So the best superhero movies often have, in my mind, some kind of setup in which the powers are neutralized and we get to see that it's the interiors of the hero that make them heroic, that make them worthwhile, that make them really special, uh, their willingness to uh, take on, you know, in a very Judeo-Christian kind of way, pain, or sacrifice themselves, or just not get up, give up and keep getting up. Um, those are all things. And that happens in Wolverine. And it's very close to being like a cheesy kind of cop-out, but it worked in that movie for me for one particular reason in that 
then the other best layer of what makes these movies work is when the exterior villain is representing some kind of interior demon of the hero, meaning the villain on the outside is actually uh, a manifestation of something that hero has to deal with or integrate or learn about or become a larger version of. And it's very clear and very interesting and very here in Logan, because we have it's a movie essentially about someone who has been near immortal, becoming mortal and dying and dealing with the fact that his young healing body, which was essentially indestructible for I think in the timeline of the movies, they've set out he was from maybe the 1800s he was born, and this movie is set in 2029. So he's he's easily over probably 200 years old. So he's seen a lot. A lot has happened to him. And I think that's a fascinating place to uh, explore a character's territory, explore a character in the sense of what would it be like to be an immortal that dies? And this is just a small scale version of that. And it works in this movie. So what's interesting about Logan facing a younger version of himself is, boom, there we have it. The exterior character is a manifestation of this interior demon he has, that he's not young anymore, he's not indestructible anymore, and that his time is coming to an end. He can't fight like he used to fight. He can't just survive like he used to survive. And we see very visually and very explicitly that he's essentially no match for this younger version of himself. Um, so yeah, in short, kind of a, a winding road there, but I quite enjoyed Logan. I thought it was one of the better kind of mainstream superhero movies I've seen in a long time. That said, like any movie, it's not quite perfect. There's some, you know, cheesy exposition, any plot stuff with the uh, video story from the one lady and some just rough edges. But what is great about this movie is they leave a lot rough. So they don't flesh a lot out in terms of there's no flashbacks. There's none of that cheesy like, well, there's a few flashbacks, I guess, of the young girl. But particularly with the stuff that has the most significance in weight between Logan and Professor X, they don't actually go back and show any of that. And I was just reading that apparently that was in an early version of the script where they showed everything that went down with Professor X. And I think it was super smart to cut that way more impactful to see the results of that on how Professor X and Logan are relating and being with each other than even showing the flashback. Because just like the great monster theory of Hitchcock and Spielberg, it's what you don't see that is infinitely scarier than what you see. And in this case, what happened in Westchester with Professor X's dementia coming on sounds pretty fucking awful. Pretty awful. And you can see how Logan would be torn between protecting his mentor and knowing this man had killed some of the people he loved the most. And how even that is a cycle or something we know is present in Logan as well. And a demon he's continually battling of he even talks about in this movie. It's I don't I don't worry about getting killed. I, I have nightmares about the people I did kill. Um, Hugh Jackman just yeah. Knocks it out of the park. What a great actor. What a great physicality he brings to Logan. Um, 
really embodied, really tremendous, but with a soft side as well in the very specific moments. But when they come out, they're really great. Um, the young actress that plays X-23, just amazing as well. I don't know where they found her, but silent for most of the movie and still just totally ferocious in her own way. Really great. Uh, Patrick Stewart is Professor X, just exceptional. Um, almost a Oscar-worthy performance in my mind for supporting actor. And um, Stephen Merchant as Caliban, also pretty exceptional. So, yeah, this was just a super fun movie about winding down. And since we were into spoilers, I got to say it's probably one of the best last lines for a character I've ever seen uh, that works on so many multiple layers. Um, There's a conversation between Professor X and Logan midway through this film in which Professor X has basically put people's lives on the line put Logan's life on the line, his life on the line by pausing and spending some time with the family. And he really wants Logan to get like, Hey, this could be, this could be a reality. Uh, even after everything horrible that's happened, this could be something you could have this allow yourself to feel it, to feel the normalcy, to feel the basicness, to feel the connection. And Logan can't do it at the time at the end of the movie when his daughter is there. And like I said, spoiler warning, if you haven't uh, already seen it, too bad. I told you. He passes away, and he's passing, and his daughter's there. And we have this great line that's, so this is what it feels like as he's looking at her, which is a great hall um, callback to that conversation with Professor X of, ah, this is what it means to love someone else and be loved as he's looking in his daughter's eyes. But what I really love about this line is I actually think that's just the surface one. The the bigger the bigger thing happening in that moment is, oh my God, this is what it's like to die. That thing that I caused for so many people. I mean, Logan probably killed thousands of people just based on the movies we've seen over the course of his life. So he's seen a lot of people die, but he's never died. And he's never even had to worry about dying in to most extents. And in that moment, uh, I love the multi-layeredness of that line in terms of this is what it feels like is he knows he's dying and he's getting to experience something he never got to experience before. True mortality and letting go. Something that a mortal can't really do in the same way as a lot of us. Um, yeah, so that's that's probably one of my favorite movies of that ilk in a long time, um, probably because it keeps the movie very small scale, really focuses on the character interactions. I mean, this is really just also a great family travel movie about cranky grandpa, cranky dad and wild daughter. There's some just hilarious scenes in the middle. Um, some pretty decent action scenes in the beginning in particular and in the end. And, um, there's some bigger plot stuff. And like I said, some exposition that I don't even think was totally necessary, but I get why they stuffed it in there. And it was not enough to make like to distract from the movie to me. And, uh, yeah, what a great, what a great romp. If you're a comic book movie fan or a Western fan, I definitely suggest going and checking out Logan, which is in theaters now.
So next up, um, I wanted to talk about this thing, uh, this idea that, so since I've been doing transformational work, I think in like maybe 2008 or so is the first time I started doing group work in the sense of in my men's group, group of people coming together and just relating, holding space for each other, helping each other and whatnot. And that um, started as men's work in my mind or in my life. And then evolved into also encompassing circling, which is an interpersonal relational practice that I co-facilitate out here in LA. And that is kind of exploding around the country. And that um, has kind of been the main teaching of the Integral Center, the place uh, I used to be involved with in Boulder that I helped start the first version of. And there's a lot of schools of circling now, and it's kind of appearing everywhere. And it's really great, really great. Um, and then some other group work I've done too, which is just kind of, you know, there's many lineages, uh, of kind of group interdynamic psychotherapy kind of stuff in which people just explore their raw spots together and what's alive for them. And I've been participating in stuff like that for, for a good while. And it's been a modality that's been explored for a good while as well. I remember uh, two or three years ago when Mad Men ended, the final final episode of that series has Don Draper and Esselin and doing group work and essentially a proto version of circling in a sense. And he has a pretty profound breakthrough in seeing someone else kind of open their heart and vulnerability. He's finally able to access something he hasn't in a long time, um, which I just thought was amazing. Like, oh yeah, it's been around for a while. And uh, to that point, I think part of the amazing thing about group work is oftentimes someone else's work is our work and um, amazing things can happen. So, but in specific, what I want to talk about is this idea, this experience I had doing some group work this week um, in which I was not the one uh, with the attention on me, but someone else was. But I've had this happen to me before when the attention was on me. And essentially just this idea that some feelings are just not meant to be felt alone. Some feelings are just not meant to be felt alone. It sounds kind of stupid simple, but it's one of those things that is super profound to me. And in some ways I feel super important in this kind of hyper tech somewhat connected, but not necessarily meet space relational world, um, in which sometimes, you know, we're just doing, 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 connecting, connecting, connecting virtually, but not really taking time to slow down necessarily and be with each other around just simple emotional things in a way of the kind of almost low level support and nurturance of just like, what I imagine sometimes people got in more tribal living in which you just had people around you all the time and stuff would come up and people would be there for it. But in this case, um, yeah, it made me think of, I think it's a teaching I first came across from Brene Brown in um, one of her books. I can't remember which one. Um, probably Daring Greatly. I'm not sure though. Or it might have been one of her audio things I was listening to. And it's just this great, simple concept, um, which she particularly teaches around shame in that 
To her, shame is a social emotion, meaning shame doesn't necessarily exist on its own. If you were Tarzan and raised in the jungle and there were no people around you, you probably would not feel shame because shame is an emotion that comes from social interactions in which others help us course correct and modify our behavior that, oh, that is not good. That is not right. So we start to feel shame, but it's from external stimulus that someone else has given us. And I I just love that teaching. Um, And particularly because what she goes on to say is that in that case, because it's created socially, it can only be healed socially, meaning since it's external stimulus that causes us and teaches us oftentimes um, incorrectly, but right as well, there is really good shame that is very necessary in our society. God knows we could use more of it now with Trump, who's shame-free. But uh, this idea that because it's created socially, it can only be healed socially, meaning shame is an emotion that we can't feel and heal alone, alone in our bedroom by ourselves, just sitting on a cushion. There is an actual witnessing a presence of the other to create a we space, to actually create a relational space, since that's a social emotion that it can be felt and experienced in the presence of another. That's the only way to heal it, meaning the way it was created is the way to heal it. And that's definitely something that's been true in my experience of... Um, surfacing shame in groups and getting to presence things that I never thought I could say to people or be judged by and then feeling an openness and a receptivity to them and a oh wow okay that's okay and a healing process that occurs and it it just struck me in this experience I had earlier this week that there's other emotions like that too um other things that you know just like deep grief of our past experiences or abuses or deaths. And there's a level of, I would say, grieving or weeping that I think really is relational, really only comes when we have someone else present, you know, whether that's someone with their arms on me as I cry, their hand on the back of my neck, or someone I'm holding in that process. Um, I think like that deep kind of grief and healing is meant to be felt with other people because it's just so freaking hard. It can be so painful, so shattering, and so overwhelming that I think to fully feel it oftentimes, at least for me, there has been a need to have someone else there to hold me, to provide a level of safety so I can just melt and fall apart and totally break. And I think a lot of people have maybe get that from their um, significant other or spouse in the best cases, but sometimes that's the only place they can get it. And there are certain things, whether it's you know, men among men, women among women, or even interpersonal dynamics of that, mother, father, um, brother, sister, that those dynamics 
really only get played out again when there's someone else present. And that's, I think, what's so potent about a lot of the group work I'm drawn to is, you know, cognitively, I can know about some of my raw spots or emotional wounds or things I'm struggling with. And I can explain them to you quite, quite easily, quite literally, quite confidently. But I can't always get myself into feeling them, actually having that emotion enter and be in my body alone. That usually takes the presence of other people. That usually takes this creation, created kind of relational space. And um, I just feel so blessed to have found communities in which I can show up and do that and be held by others. And create that space for others because I think it's a rarer and rarer thing in this kind of weird world space we're in where, you know, the traditional kind of tribal family of relatives and whatnot has for most of us, particularly millennials, I think who have moved away from home and gen X and whatnot, that structure's kind of fallen apart. The nuclear family has somewhat fallen apart And I do think there's a new kind of family of choice thing emerging for a lot of people that we're very much trying to figure out as we go here that hasn't quite solidified in a lot of ways. So this space can be really rare to find. Um, One thing that has always blown me away and like just ripped my heart open leading um, these circling evenings here in Los Angeles, which we um, run off meetup.com. So we just kind of put up these public events and people show up is we'll have people that come that I can say hands down. um, We'll circle them, give them attention in a kind of group group setting, just loving kindness and attention basically. And they can have, you know, really profound or really simple or just joyous kind of experiences. But I've had reflected to me a number of times and witnessed like there are people that have come that are in their, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s that have just literally never had that experience of a group of people with them, not needing or wanting anything from them, giving them nice attention. And that the fact that people to imagine that there's people that do go through their entire lives without having the ability or resources or community to kind of drop into this rarefied space of being able to feel things in a relational field together is just, it's just heartbreaking to me. And one of the things that really inspires me to keep doing this work and to create spaces where people can really drop in, not just in a, you know, we like to joke out here about LA shallow relational way of who are you? What do you do? What can you do for me? What's your IMDB credits? But, uh, like, who are you? What's going on for you? And just stay in there for 35, 45 minutes. So yeah, some feelings are just not meant to be felt alone. Um, it'd be interesting to make an index or category of those someday. You know, definitely shame, deep grief. And I would even say in my experience, like real anger the real anger I feel is when uh, I'm in, when it's being witnessed, I, I should say. Like frustration I can feel alone, but there's something visceral about like real burning, cutting, 
significant anger that really only comes out in me, at least in a relational space. Well, I think that's it for this week. I would love to know what you thought about Logan and any times you've had fun group work experiences. Um, Until next time, this is Jason Lang signing off. Special shout out and thanks to Screaming Witness for the amazing intro and outro song. Check them out.